Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mid-Curve Podcast. It's your weekly look at uh, the markets, both uh, TradFi, DeFi, and the NFT markets. Um, we are a group of uh, traders, investors, uh, general malcontents who spend time, probably way too much time in this space. Uh, it's been a, a, a semi-bumpy week, but we are in a much different place than we were <laughs> last weekend uh, when we recorded this, which will be an interesting thing to get into. Um, let's take a second to introduce ourselves. Uh, we are down one member today. Salty uh, may join us in the middle, um, but we will hopefully hear from him. If we don't, um, my name is Funky Donk. Also, my real middle life name is Gavin Purcell. I am a creative slash media executive uh, who mostly knows the NFT space pretty well and kind of hangs on uh, for dear life when we get into the TradFi and DeFi talks in the space. Um, Eric, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, hey guys, it's Erica. I'm um, my background is TradFi. You know, been uh, before this, I was at, at you know institutional finance for about you know, just under ten years. Uh, now, full time NFT DeFi degenerate, uh, and just you know overall, uh, overall excited about the space. Great, Grant. What about you? Want a quick intro? Uh, hey everyone, my name is Grant. Uh, I come from the traditional consulting world. Uh, fell into NFTs almost uh, two two years ago, uh, and I haven't looked back. Great. Okay, so we've got uh, quite a bit of stuff to talk about today. But before we start, let's kind of get a sense of kind of one word how we feel about the markets. Um, actually, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to go with the word confused because I I have never been kind of more confused in what to do at this time. Now that said. Um, there are clear indicators that I kind of have read the tea leaves through knowing and, you know, through both this podcast and other things, starting to kind of understand the TradFi world a little bit. I'm confused only because a week ago we were living in a world where it looked like we were entering financial Armageddon. And then somehow, and I think I understand how, um, somehow we have now entered a world in which um, crypto is pretty much skyrocketing. I personally got uh, semi-lucky in that um, during the uh, great USDC scare, I transferred USDC at about a point, I think 0.95, thinking that uh, I'll just transfer it out because I don't trust this, into ETH. And that turned out to be one of the better trades I think uh, <laughs> I've made in the last, like, I don't know how long. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not complaining that crypto is up uh, because I think all of us, you know, are happy to see crypto up. But I will just say I'm confused. Um, Oh, okay. Let's uh, let's jump over to Grant. Grant, what's what what's your one word for the market this week? Whiplash, probably. Yeah. Like you said, we've got like in just in the span of like a week, we've gone from like you know it potentially might be over uh, again for like the twelfth time uh, this year um, for for crypto and risk assets and whatnot to you know we're so back uh, at least for coins. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing that we'll get into today and figure out how that all kind of plays out. Um, Eric, what about you? What's your one word for the market this week? Uh, I think for me, it's probably Arbitrum. Mm. Because Arbitrum is, is the only thing that matters. Arbitrum is all that there is. It's the only thing I fucking care about in the next week is Arbitrum and that ecosystem. This is maybe a good place to start, but actually let's start first by kind of like doing a quick update and kind of tell everybody where we're at. But I do want to get into Arbitrum mostly because um, uh, I'm really curious to hear how the two of you are going to play it because I kind of am I'm also just personally curious if, if there's an idea that, you know, 
we think buying some of that early on is good. But let's let's before before we get into Arbitrum, because I think that's a probably a bit, pretty big conversation. Let's just kind of talk about what has happened this week and get a sense on the TradFi side. So, um, Eric, just to catch us up, let me make sure I kind of have what, what happened here. I think I have a pretty decent understanding. So, uh, SVB failed last week. The uh, you know the government came in and said we're going to insure the the uh, the money that's been deposited. So that means that everybody's money is protected. A couple more banks looked like they were in bad shape, uh, including all the way to Credit Suisse over the course of the week. But mostly it feels like the contagion has been contained. And um, there is a sense right now that because these bank failures are happened, that the Fed will either completely stop, or will slow, definitely slow with the rate hikes as they've already been doing, maybe stop, but also conceivably cut rates possibly. Um, Eric, can you kind of is it does that make sense and like kind of give us just the overall sense of kind of where we're sitting right now as a from a TradFi perspective? Yeah, so you know I, we talked about this last week um, with Sadie as a, a as a guest as well, but but in effect, what what happens is is the turmoil within the banking industry is 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 basically one of these um, canaries in the coal mine that says, hey, you know the the Fed conditions are just just way too tight for the existing financial system. Uh, and so stuff is starting to break, right? Um, you had the HCM issue, you know, that I think that that took down um, SVB um, when, you know, they experienced a bank run. You're now seeing a lot of the U.S. regional banks go under duress, obviously, you know, signature aside, which which seemed more politically motivated, FRC, um, which traditionally has been more of like a bank that catered to higher net worth individuals is is also on the ropes, and obviously you have uh, the nonsense of with Credit Suisse. I, I just want to contextualize that that like Credit Suisse belongs to this cohort of like European banks, which you know these are old story institutions like uh, with like UBS um, and Deutsche Bank. That they just never, never fully recovered from the um, the great financial crisis. You know, they operate in markets that are uh, that just democratic, graphically speaking, like really shitty uh, headwinds. Um, and so, just overall, like the banks have have not been healthy for a very, very long time. Like when a small child in India trips over his shoelace and falls over. You know, Credit Suisse has a minor banking crisis. <laughs> uh, it 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 is so so. It is literally like no, to no one's surprise that on the back of you know, the the bank run on SCV, Credit Suisse will put his hands up and say, "Oh, by the way, you know, like I have fucking terminal uh, stage three lung cancer, and it's terminal." Like because this is this is when they've been a walking zombie. Like all the European banks have been a walking zombie for a long time. Um, they can never be allowed to fail because that would pose way too much systemic risk. They're too deeply entrenched in, mm. within the within the financial system. But they like it is like you will you never want to put money like unless you are literally a Saudi prince of money to burn. You would never like you know buying a shitty European bank is like the last thing that you 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 ever want to do. Right. And and so now what's happening is is there's conversations over the weekend that hey, like UBS is gonna merge with these guys um with a, a, a you know guaranteed backstop from the Swiss government. Uh, and, and so you know, this is basically like you have um you have two drowning people 
one of them is grabbing on the other, and then you know the the Swiss National Bank is going to throw them a small life raft in the meantime, so they can they can kind of float and tread water for a little longer. Um, and that that I think for the most part will settle things, but it's really really shifted the narrative from hey inflation is so rampant the Fed has to continue tightening to say well like shit's broken. Uh, right. And if you look at you know how much um banks tap from from the fed guarantee the fed facilities you know over the course of the last week you basically undid half of the quantitative tightening um so so now i think you very much have like a credibility issue where the market is saying like look like you can't credibly raise rates and tackle inflation anymore because you're you're breaking stuff and you've already said like what that once stuff starts to break you're going to stop so you know, we're going to price this 25 basis points or whatever the fuck you're going to do. Uh, but the next step is probably going to pause. Uh, it's going to be a pause and maybe a rate cut to to start loosening financial systems. So by your end, um, you're going to be cutting instead of tightening and then we'll have easy money again. And then so um, the crypto markets, which which I think like have started to become a little more forward looking versus the TradFi markets are already starting to price and position for that for that move. And then obviously you have this like, you know, narrative that that the that the Bitcoin Maxi Morlocks come up with like everyone's <laughs> cycle, which is banking institutions are gonna fail, pull your money in Bitcoin, yada yada yada. Like, I, I'm not gonna entertain that because well, yeah. I, can we I, can we pause here because I do want to talk about that bet. I don't know if you guys have you guys been seeing that bet that yeah. popped up on Twitter. So let's yeah. let's talk about that and and from from a from a normie perspective, which I always try to make sure that everybody knows like I'm coming from a financial kind of normie perspective again English major here um seems pretty crazy right I'm trying to remember what the name of the guy I think it was Jean let me let me find out let's see if I can find it but the bed essentially yeah Balaji thank you Balaji so, so to give you also give you a, a little bit of context of who this guy is right so so he started he started one of the larger Bitcoin mining startups in 2016 with A16Z as a backer mined a fuckload of bitcoin was also an executive on coinbase um so so just very very much like a crypto bitcoin maximum yeah and, which makes and, sense and, yeah. and, and one of the one of the you know one of the more prescient things that he did say ahead of you know when COVID first broke it was like what is it this is sort of the catalyst that kind of kicks the door open on crypto decentralized money and, and really drives accelerates this this transition to trustless finance um, and so, so he does like I think rightfully does get some credit for making that that call. And, and but now the bet that he's making is in ninety days to respect that you're going to be uh, widespread catastrophic banking failures. The U.S. dollar is going to enter hyperinflation. Uh, banking institutions will fail, and so Bitcoin will raise a, a, a mil, reach a million dollars because everyone is going to take their money out of banks and put it into crypto as a safe harbor. Um, so I, I mean, like. You know, I, I I'm not gonna. The, the time frame seems honestly a little ridiculous here, but like I think directionally, what he's saying and the bet he's making has very very much been in line with I think one of the core tenant beliefs of of of, of crypto uh, and decentralized finance in general. Um, and so you know, and and that that in itself is not like without limit with, without merit right it actually I, I think has a lot of merit and and scb was a was a good case of it it's just that um moral hazards exist and it is 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 really um 
pervasive within traditional finance world where you can really you can have like really incompetent people that are in charge running a lot of money um put everyone at risk through you know dumb stupid fucking decisions and then the government provides a bailout because you know the pain of actually having to 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 work through that process in a in a in a truly capitalist market um it's just much much higher um has a much higher cost like to them politically has a much higher aggregate cost on society uh, so the, the easier solution is to just kind of bail them out move along and make sure nobody gets completely rinsed and loses all of their money right but but that i think like creates a double standard where when you know everyday normal individuals run into financial hardship it's like oh pull yourself up by your own fucking bootstraps and and they throw like here's a copy of the fountainhead and figure it out yourself yeah. <laughs> um yeah. versus like when you know every one of these like iron rand humping assholes uh goes up goes on about like liber libertarianism the first the first swift of systemic risk they're like well why isn't the government doing anything Right. right. I, I, I think I think I think that that's one of the animal spirits that that kind of keeps like makes crypto interesting, keeps it alive and keeps people committed to the cause. Yeah. Um, so so I actually I, I don't disagree with that bet. Uh, I just would not make it within a 90 day time frame like that. That I think is like aggressive. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like, I mean, obviously, you always wonder these days how much of this stuff is attention versus real. Like, I think in a lot of ways, what he's trying to do is put his stamp foot down and begin and say, like, look, I'm I've, I've been writing this before. I'm going to be right again. And I think in a lot of ways, like the mil a million dollars, something like this probably doesn't mean as much as it does to your average everyday person. Um, but anyway, we've entered into a into the Bitcoin maxi conversation again, which I think is like is a big part of, of what we're getting into this world. Yeah, that conversation. I, I mean, I think it look, I think I think that conversation in your term is fucking stupid for, for very, very one very yeah. simple reason. Is uh, when you have to pay your mortgage, when you have to pay your bills, when you have to buy food to eat, you, you're not whipping out your Bitcoin wallet and, and saying, hey, let me send you this payment. You know, confirmation is in 30 minutes, right? Like that's not going to happen. You, you are still relying on traditional finance rails. Um, and one of the challenges right now is that the traditional finance rails, whether you're looking at Europe, US or, or China, is, is between crypto and 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 um, between crypto and TradFi, it, it's still very, very heavily restricted, right? And, and now we actually don't have much of an off-rail. That's what I was going to say. Off-ramping off is hard, right? Like now it's yeah. getting harder and harder to off-ramp into fiat. It's getting, it's getting much, much harder. Um, and then, um, you know, in Europe, they're trying to push through this bill where taking above like $5,000, taking crypto for small business payments effectively becomes money laundering and, and becomes heavily, heavily regulated, right? So, so there's real world inertia in place that, that mean that, that really prevents you from like doing this tomorrow. Like, so my challenge to a lot of like Bitcoin maximalists is like, or like, you're going to do this, put your money worth your mouth is try to do everything in your day-to-day -day living with Bitcoin, see how far that gets you. It's yeah. not, not much difference from just being like debanked in aggregate within the within the modern finance system um and we've as we've seen with like communities of colors uh, and other disadvantaged community uh, other minority communities when that happens it has like it creates like a real socioeconomic gap so yeah, yeah. So just really something to keep in mind yeah that all makes sense to me and i think it's 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 a tricky thing to have like you know 
high level kind of like conversations around what's possible versus something that more, much more kind of boots on the ground sort of scenario. Um, Grant, I have a question for you, uh, which is when I, I saw a post you put in, in our uh, asylum thread, uh, I think it was yesterday, which was basically you're feeling pretty strong now about the market, but then you feel like, I think you said there might be, a, there's going to be like another dump in May. Um, what, what is your plan? How, how are you playing this market right now? And, and kind of like, what are the kind of like things you're seeing that, that make you feel better about it versus where you felt like, I mean, obviously a week ago. Uh, not sure I'm ready to reveal my master plan here uh, to, to the masses. Uh, I'm just kidding. I think, um, you know, Eric's probably right. Um, it's not... Backstopping these banks doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily equate with QE, but we're certainly there. I mean, I think I said last week, like, this is this is the end game, right? Like, they have to blank here or... You know, stay true to their word that they're going to continue to cause pain. Uh, the issue is, as, as it always is, when so many things in this economy are, are interconnected, uh, you don't really know uh, which dominoes fall until it might be too late, right? So it looks like they've blinked, uh, and you know that asset chart uh, from the U.S. government kind of looks like 2019, right? Where they're trying to do QT. Um, They've like, I think early on enough realized that they've kind of taken too, taken the printing uh, a little bit too far, uh, but kind of a similar situation as right now, and that you know it it's it's a bit, <laughs> it's a, it's a bit too late to kind of uh, put the weasel back in the box, right? So the, the markets have started to freeze up, uh, just like in twenty nineteen, uh, the repo market yields jumped a lot uh, because there's just you know, basically a shortage of like cheap USD, right? Um, and that, that's what we saw with SVB and, and Credit Suisse and, you know, name your shitty mid-tier bank uh, in, in the US as well as around the world, right? Like that, that's what's causing them to kind of implode. Um, so I think, you know, everyone's hyperbolizing, like, you know, the end of the US dollar, which I, again, I don't, agree with, uh, but I do think the Fed's going to pivot. Uh, it is likely, I think, going to cause uh, a hard landing, uh, regardless of, of what they do now. Uh, and, you know, when the reality of recession hits, uh, risk assets usually take, you know, another dump. Uh, and I think that will be probably the bottom uh, that you can comfortably kind of ease into for the next two to three year cycle. Uh, but that's all extremely, extremely speculative and not financial advice at all. Uh, my opinions are always loosely held, and I change, <laughs> change, change on my the positions time. in the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, like, it's such an interesting time, right? Because like a week ago, there was a conversation around, like, you know, this idea that, gosh, maybe this is where ETH does its full dump, and we finally are gonna, you know, people will be talking about trying to buy in cheap or, you know, getting into stables, or and obviously the stables themselves were taking a dump. Fuck yeah! A week ago, I was buying USDC at eighty-seven cents, wondering exactly. why it wasn't going up, and cursing the name Jeremy Allaire in my sleep. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a strange thing how time moves fast. Um, looks like we've been joined by Salty, which is exciting. Hi, Salty. Hello, 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 hello. Well, you want to jump in here real quick? I'm kind of curious. So, just to catch you up, we've obviously been talking about where the market's at and kind of how um 
all over the place it's been. I'm kind of curious from your end, um, as somebody who, I don't want to say you're a Bitcoin maxi, but you've at least been through the Bitcoin uh, maxi life and seen that cycle. Like where, uh, wh A, what are you kind of like, how are you playing this market right now? Are you are you like really diving into a bunch of tokens? We are going to talk about ARB in a bit. So not this is not the ARB conversation necessarily, but like, are you feeling confident that we're going to see a little bit of, of significant up movement now based on the kind of current conditions? Well, I have some, uh, I have some thoughts from what, what y'all were saying. Um, cause I don't have like, I don't have a, a full thesis for like everything that's going to play out that, that would be even remotely as competent as, as what Grant and Eric are talking about. And I, I don't have from my very naive viewpoint. I don't have any like major disagreements with what they're saying. I do, um, I do think, I think we were talking about that Balaji bet, uh, the yep. million dollar bet. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I totally makes sense that he's off on the timelines, but I do think it is worth, uh, pointing out that the intervention cycle is accelerating, uh, mm. and, and ex especially exponential or parabolic acceleration can be very hard for the human brain to predict because you know we're used to things that are related in a linear fashion look at look at the ai conversation i think this is the kind of perfectly translates to what's happening with the, with ai right now too but sorry to interrupt but you're right i think it's something we just don't get until you start, are in the middle of it yeah yeah you know there's so many things that that most most people are taught about history and it's like and all of a sudden the bolshevik revolution happened or then all of a sudden you know hyperinflation happened it's never that way it just feels that way because that's what exponential growth feels like but um yeah i mean the the intervention cycle does seem to be accelerating because you know this was like banks are collapsing on a friday it's fixed by sunday monday so, so mm -hmm. it didn't used to be that we would uh, develop an entirely new like um, tool from the Fed to you know and inject trillions of dollars in a weekend. You know, like this is so. So there is something to be said for the the intervention is happening more quickly. But yeah, the ninety days seems uh, absurd to me. But uh, and I'd like to be wrong on that. I think we'd all like that not to be the case that you know we've i think it will, i would say like if that's the case i don't think any of us have nearly enough crypto at least at least in my i know that i don't if that's the case i mean i there's some real estate large real estate purchases that i really really need to see if i can undo i mean toilet paper is also going to be worth like a thousand dollars a pop so there are yeah. bigger problems at play toilet paper oh yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah none of us want to live that world but i do um you know, Eric had asked me about there's a protocol called the Y2K where you can take directional bets against stablecoin uh, pegs and stuff. It was something I never messed with because, you know, I'm just not comfortable betting on the end of the world because uh, right. even if you win, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> but you should prepare. You know, I don't I don't not listen to people like Balaji. I, I listen to people like uh, Chris Bleck. I think he has interesting things to say about decentralization and control and like it's it it never hurts to prepare it it probably isn't a great use of your time to be like a prepper type level of paranoia because as cormac mccarthy said in the road even those who were prepared weren't prepared because so, you can't like you can't perfectly prepare but you yeah it's it's good to have diverse assets to own income streams to have property to own cash maybe to own metals I, you know it's, it's it's good to be prepared uh, and like we saw with the USDC DPEG, and and uh, Eric was talking about our Ayn Randian friends, is uh, the the week that happened, the number of life comes at you fast Twitter posts that were there, which yeah. was screenshots of hundreds of like, you know, these libertarian wannabes uh, posted their like, 
ill outs, you know, you need to take personal responsibility six months ago. And then today are like, if the government doesn't bail us out, it's a complete failure of the system. You know? That's the, one of the, one of the funniest things was, um, what's his name from the all in podcast. I don't think we talked about this. I think David Sachs is his David name, Sachs, right? Yeah. WC, who is like, you know, one of the farthest kind of right kind of leaning guys, um, who like basically now that you know now that his bags are all kind of at at risk uh, was very much a big like come on in and and uh, uh, kind of bail us out. But I think that's an interesting thing that that kind of you see people when when suddenly what they do and what they have is at risk. They they would like some help. So that doesn't surprise me too much, I guess, in the world that we're in. Um, you don't want to be you don't want to be on the life comes you fast Twitter at you fast Twitter stream. So you want to prepare. You want to be judicious. All that stuff. Yeah. I would say two other things that one thing that gives me confidence and and this would be a bigger conversation is if this weren't the case we were talking about fiat off ramps getting more difficult and there are some challenging things happening in Europe but at least for retail consumers a fiat off ramping is still you know pretty darn easy in the US Gemini will will always give you a dollar for GUSD Coinbase Juno for a debit card dozens of other companies at least at retail sizes you can still off-ramp into into fiat, and that is a really big deal. So if that really started getting clamped down on, you know, that would definitely make yeah, we the, got a problem. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah, a yeah. Problem. But is that not kind of what's been what's been like? Like, I guess the question I would have is, especially with the signature bank uh, situation, and I think there's. I saw a story, and I don't know if, how confirmed this is, but there was a conversation. I think it was signature. There was one of these banks that was basically told. If somebody came in and bought it, they would have to kind of eliminate their crypto business. Oh, like it yeah. does, it does that's seem like right. That's corporate crypto customers. They're not talking. Is about that is that what it is? Guy. Okay, it's not about retail. Okay, that's interesting. On a on a long enough time frame, if you're kind of completely shutting them off from the rest of society, like yeah, like people will give up eventually. Yeah, but you're talking about people who have like seen their assets consistently go to zero every three to four years, <laughs> and they come back. Stronger than ever, as long as they survive and don't give up. So in the short term, you're you're literally fucking around and finding out because your own system is kind of fucked right now. Yeah, very. Yeah. yeah so the the one thing, so so the the it's not good, and it may be heading that direction of cutting people off. But you know, there's almost nothing like you said. I've seen everything I own in my private wallets go to zero a number of times. Uh, the only thing that would really make me start actually sweating and be like, oh, wow, I really need to figure something out is if they truly, truly or were like writing bills that were like, you cannot make crypto into fiat. We're going to make this like illegal or or right. heavily, heavily. That, that would make me a little worried because like Eric said, uh, I'll just I'll wrap it up here. But like Eric said, you know, everyone still needs dollars, whether you're a Bitcoin maxi or not, or dollar equivalents, depending on how you operate. But you need dollars, and and that's not going to change maybe anytime soon. Like, you're not going to be able to buy bread and Bitcoin. But I will say, and I pointed this out last week, is that crypto offers, uh, a, a whole bunch of great synthetic dollars, but it offers dollars, the only dollar equivalent in the world that isn't backed by the U.S.'s debt or or military might is is like something like LUSD. It's a it's a dollar equivalent that's backed by something other than US debt. That doesn't exist outside the crypto world. So so there's still a lot going on here in a dollarified world that is very worth considering and, and has a lot of potential value. And I know it's been almost too popular of a bet to say, you know, the era of US hegemony is is over as we know it in, in the last few years. But you know, it increasingly seems like 
the leadership at the top is not doing what's necessary to retain that grasp. Uh, and, you know, if you really want to shut down crypto, are you actually betting that no other major nation state in the world is going to pick yeah. up that slack? Yeah. Dude, it's nuts to fumble to fumble that bag. It's like crypto was handing you even stronger yes. dollar hegemony on a silver platter, and you're just like, no, I don't want it. It's like, I do think the deglobalization argument is there from some of these smart macro people that the world is deglobalizing slowly, and that will accelerate. But yeah, to just throw away the dollar hegemony that crypto could give you. Well, actually, to expand on that, would you? I'm kind of curious. When you say deglobalization, does that mean that that then currencies become much more hyper, like localized? Or what do you mean by that? I mean, oil. So Eric and Grant can certainly speak better uh, about me than this. But I mean, like oil is being priced in gold and Bitcoin and, and Russian currencies, not just dollars. Or right, will potentially. right, right. I mean, that trade is being limited. Or the yuan, right? Or the, the Chinese yuan. Yeah, or yeah, yuan? yeah. How do you say that? Yuan or yuan? Who can, who can pronounce that for me? I just call it RMBs. Okay, RMBs. There you go. RMBs, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if China's directly buying like Russian oil with RMB or not. Uh, so like, yeah, I'll, I'll stop so Grant and Eric can say more. But yes, trade is slowing down. People are reshoring production facilities. Everyone's trying to like super tighten up their internal uh, dependence, like self sufficiency, which is you know why we. It's why China hasn't done anything like Russia has because China. It's impossible for them to be self sufficient right now. I mean, if we if we cut off their food or oil imports, it would be catastrophic. But this, these things are happening, right? Like we had like, like 60 years of hyper-globalization. And now yeah. I think, but again, uh, maybe Eric or Grant can speak more to that. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, at, look at what's happening with semis, right? Um, you've had this, uh, you know, most of the world what? semiconductor, like oh, semiconductors. Semi yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of that used to be uh, China is a huge producer of semis, uh, and their expertise in higher complexity semis continue to ramp up. But we're now building, you know, semi-fabs stateside, uh, which is something that I think even like five or six years ago would be never uh, unheard of. But there, there's real security risks. There's, you know, there's a need to access to to guarantee access to supply to something that is now critical in the AI race. Um, so, so like. You know, broadly speaking, I think I think one of the fault lines that COVID opened up is that like hey, this like this globalized supply chain that's just in time is actually kind of fucking dicey when when borders mm -hmm. shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, and now with like with the escalation, I think in in the geopolitics um antagonism, right? Like regions of the world are starting to rebalkanize, uh, and and that means that. You know, every region now has to think about self-sufficiency or finding a politically aligned partner to guarantee self-sufficiency, right? So, so if you do think about China and Russia as adversaries, like, well, fuck, like, they contribute massively to obviously one, global commodity balances, and two, just all the cheap shit that you use that you buy and use. Um, so, so if those are now ad adversaries and those supply chains are now at risk, like. You know, you you basically you have to reshore, right? Yeah. Uh, and this yeah. also plays into the whole idea of of sort of structural inflation because reforming in the short term means more demand for for localized labor, which is more expensive. Um, so so that strengthens the labor market. It also increases the cost of goods, right? That's inflationary. Like that's not going to go away overnight. Um, you just, you it, like, the, these are, these are very, very sticky things that, that are probably like, if this continue, deglobalization continues, are going to stabilize 
stay with us for for a long time. Like there's a reason that we hyper globalized for 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 decades before reaching this point. Is that it helped everything get cheaper, and right. in Western nations, guaranteed you a much much not just Western nations, actually everywhere, guaranteed yeah. you an access to a much 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 higher standard of living and growth. By the way, and growth, like we actually like grew at an insane rate, right? Because everything was cheaper, we could make things much cheaper, we could focus on other things, and it became like a hyper growth time. It, it it made the services and tech economy what it is. Yes, right? like that that the era it, it because it allowed access to cheap money. So, so which made it possible for VCs to throw billions of billions of dollar of dollars at these, you know, negative cash flow uh, enterprises that needed to be negative negative cash flow to to scale and reach critical mass. Um, and and so you know, so so all of that and now it's coming to a head. My only real advice, and this isn't financial, is I would be most comfortable living in a country that either was or had the potential to be uh, energy and food self-sufficient. And that's a very right. short list of countries. And the deepest irony is that a ton of Bitcoin maxis who themselves are mostly de-globalists because the global, you know, the globalism depends on this uh, fiat currency and all this scummy perverted systems uh, move to tax havens to get their Bitcoin profits that are completely dependent on globalism for even remotely <laughs> any semblance of life. So you got these dudes living on tiny islands with no food, no water, no oil naturally on them <laughs> um, who might be in trouble as we deglobalize and they have all this Bitcoin but need to eat. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea for Dow uh, this upcoming cycle. Just terraform <laughs> a small island, you know, throw in some, some energy, plant some crops and we're good. Good for next cycle. Wait, is this not Link style? Yeah, that it, there's a golf course. There's definitely a golf course there too. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. We just need to install some new leadership there. We'll be good. It's Link's now, but for grocery stores because you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you only you and ten other people get access to this grocery store every hour. Uh, okay, um, let's uh, move on. Oh, what I had one last thing I want to say about this. Oh, which is just that one of the things that comes up in this conversation, obviously. Um, is the idea of energy a lot, right? Because energy has been dependent on oil and natural resources. And, and I do want to say there's a, there is interesting conversations uh, that I think are happening, and, and these are completely speculative. But obviously, we, before we jumped on here, we were talking about what's been going on in AI and, and how much like the front end of, of GPT-4 and ChatGPT has kind of exposed that to people. But you know, the thing that that human beings, not Americans per se, but Americans, sure, but the human beings in general have done is figured out weird and interesting ways to evolve both intellectually and invention wise to create things. And, and one thing that would be a massive upgrade to the entire world is some form of cheap energy, right? And like, I, it's the idea that like, we have this thing that is growing at an exponential rate. When I say this thing, I mean like the idea of what artificial intelligence has kind of played out and is becoming. And I personally do believe this is like, it's it's hard to be hyperbolic about like what's going on in that space. And, you know, it's it's obviously, there's people who are saying that the, tomorrow it's going to be, you know, uh, the Borg is here and blah, blah, blah. That, that's not going to happen. But like the amount of discoveries that can be found out, like, there's a world in which, you know, 10 years from now, we we have solved the the energy world in, in some sort of very cheap way and that all of our world economy is completely different because of what we what we figured out. And that's the part that's almost the most chaotic to me is like is like we were entering this time where 
the world at large is in crisis economically, but it's also maybe this is just <laughs> maybe there's a shift coming that we completely change the way the world economy is based. And and that's where it's like I, I it's almost like very hard to project into the future. Right. Because like as one of you said, I think change seems to be happening much faster and the cycles of everything are happening much faster. So it will be really interesting to see, um, you know, what are we in 2023, like what 2030 looks like, because I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think you need to worry about that if you're in the U.S. because the government will just ban it. <laughs> That's also true, right? Well, it'll be it'll be like, you know, um, uh, Laos. We'll all live in Laos because Laos will be the only place that allows for uh, a free AI use for all we know. Um, OK, well, let's move on to something that's like a little bit more topical, much Did more topical. Lao? Because, is it Laos, right? The, the that, country Laos? One of the few monarchical communist dictatorships left in the world is going to be the ah, free AI. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I <laughs> picked Laos because I was like, I've always wanted to go to Laos. That was like one of my one of my dream countries to go visit. And I never got to go there because uh, Vietnam is very cool and it's right next door. I didn't get to go. But anyway, that was a random. Okay. I'll pick another country. Let's <laughs> no, pick no, another no. country. Uh, Kenya. We'll pick another country. Just kind of randomly pick a country across the world. Um, okay. Anyway, let's switch over to something that is much more forthcoming. I think something that's got people in the crypto world pretty excited, which is the Arbitrum uh, drop happening this week, I think, right? What day does yeah, it happen on? The world's imploding. Let's talk about our internet Thursday. magic beans. Thursday. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk more about it. It's on Thursday. Let's talk about the magic beans that are coming and, and what it means. I think the one thing I want to get into, so again, um, you know, as somebody who mostly spent my time on ARB kind of screwing around, but mostly in the NFT ecosystem, I got a small little airdrop uh, of, you know, not, not, not nothing, 2,500, but like not as much as other people got. But what is this? People are kind of excited about this, right? Like now the Blur airdrop, obviously, we were all kind of like directly involved in the NFT ecosystem. So we understand. But like, why are people more excited about the ARB airdrop than others? Uh, Grant, do you have a take on that? Like, what is it about ARB that's got people kind of chatting? Uh, well, I think just macro perspective, it kind of redefines the race uh, for, you know, what's going to be the, the chain, the side chain or alter, whatever the heck you want to call it, uh, on, on ETH uh, that is actually going to be used by the masses. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm personally a little bit upset that they didn't, uh, they didn't reward people who, like, attended their AMAs and, you know, did all the Twitter Odyssey bullshit. Uh, but nonetheless, like Arbitrum had, you know, real users last cycle, right? Magic, uh, Nova, uh, whatever else you want to call it. Like they had like real, uh, it's such a cliche word, but like communities and, and, you know, a thriving ecosystem, all things considered. Right. And, you know, if I'm OP or Polygon or whoever else, I'm, you know, working myself up into a little bit of a lather here because, uh, that, that race just got real. Right. Uh, yeah. and I think it's also just coming at kind of the perfect time right like if this had dropped uh last thursday uh price would be at well it would have gone to zero and probably rebounded a little bit uh but this is just you know everyone's kind of a little bit probably a little bit overly optimistic but just high on hopium of you know fed pivot and whatnot and and you know we have bitcoin up what is it like 60 percent from the start of the year or 40 yeah. percent from the start of the year uh so it's just kind of a perfect storm of of, of everything coming together and what I would ask about this, you know, so you talk about ARB being used. So actually, here's a here's a question I have for somebody that hasn't followed it super closely. Why did it take so long to have an ARB token come out versus, say, something like 
the poly token, the polygons token Matic, which has been out for a long time. Like, did does anybody know the answer to this? Like, did they wait on purpose? Like, what what was the purpose in 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 like taking a while before dropping this token? I think it's twofold. So one, Arbitrum didn't really need a token to incentivize usage. It, it, it was as far as the existing layer two is the only layer two worth a shit because um, you know Polygon I think has a great business development effort, but their their tech stack is is still very limited. Um, does not handle load very well. Uh, optimism using it is all of the almost all of the usage has been heavily token incentivized. Um, and actually using optimism, if anybody has spent significant time on it, it's is painful. You know, it it is it is it is literally it, you are literally being interrogated for information that you do not have when you when you submit <laughs> to the optimism user experience. Um, and so ARB has has never you know never really had to deal with any of that because it was a very functional product from day one. Uh, with a nitro, they significantly improved underlying scalability. And so sans token, you build a chain that, you know, economically speaking, transacts the same volume as finance smart chain um, and, and has about, you know, almost 2x the TVL of the other chains. So, so we, and, and the, that TVL is very, very productive. So, so they just, you know, the easy answer is they, they really didn't need it. I think the, the the more complex answer is that off-chain labs is is kind of like these, it's a very complex entity and it seems like they structured it similar to the Uniswap DAO and Uniswap Labs, uh, which obviously like operates and develops for the for um the Uniswap um, protocol. And so so I think that that process of actually like legally creating this decentralized entity especially for off-chain labs, which, you know, most recently, I think, like, raised that uh, probably near, with, with, uh, rumors where they were closing around that near Decacorn valuations um, is, is difficult. And, and so it is, it's a process, which I think is why it, it really took them a while to roll out this token, even though a lot of us have been waiting for this since, Jesus, like, February of last year. You know, when 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 I think like optimism or around the time that optimism first hit, like the natural answer was when Arbitrum. Um, right. I, I, so so I, I think like there is. There, there is like there's quite a little bit of hopium, but but I will just say, you know, when you look at the productivity on the chain, when you look at what's being built on it, protocols like GMX. Uh, protocols like Radiant, you know, ecosystems like Magic um, and Trove, like it, 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 they are very, very much starting to position themselves as sort of like this economic, the the, the finance center of ETH, um, you know, and 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 so so you know, if you look at a lot of the products that are have gained scalability there, and I found a use case like a product market fit. You know, they're really setting themselves up to be like the Jane Street and the Wall Street of 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 crypto, um, right. of, of like layer twos, and that that is very very compelling. Okay, so let's talk about the idea of a little bit about how y'all are thinking of this for this week, because I think that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of hopium about this token that like you know it's gonna it's gonna explode in value that people are pretty excited. I mean, I don't know, salty. What is your how are you looking at this? Are you going to, you know, obviously no financial advice. This is not a financial advice podcast, but Salty, are you planning on jumping into this token? Or are you going to like 
are you going to try to think about getting some right away? Yeah, well, I think all of us are probably on this podcast are eligible for the airdrop, so we'll be owners of it in that sense. And and I'm sure plenty of us are going to look for good entry prices to get more. So all of this conversation with that in mind, that certainly many people at Midcurve own own or will own lots of ARP. Um, no, I don't. Uh, it's just there's a few things. There's three things that I'm just like. It's hard for me to know what the ceiling is here. It's that it's that Arb has a great product, and it's only getting better. The tech stack is just phenomenal. The team is phenomenal. The folks doing their their um, I don't know what you call it, the social sciences thing. You know, the non tech people are also phenomenal. Their Gavin Purcells they have over there uh, <laughs> are really good. Saying something. Yeah. Um, uh, and they did all of what they've done so far without even needing a token, uh, which, you know, is a bit of a crutch because you say, hey, here's my token. And now you have a bunch of money and, and you can blow it on stuff like incentivizing uh, people who don't actually want to be on your chain to be there. That's I, I, I would push back on that a What's little that? bit because they, they, they did the whole Odyssey like online campaign all of last summer. Uh, so not all of it is as organic as some people might make it up to be oh but but odyssey lasted like like three or four days and then they shuttered it and said wait we're not doing this uh, it was a lot longer than three to four days if memory serves no it, it was yeah it was, it was odyssey was for a while and then they ran into because so many people were doing it uh arb actually in, like had congestion issues and they're like well no we're not we're gonna pause the odyssey until uh we roll out nitro and then they restarted it uh, when Nitro came out, but that was like a eight, like that was almost like a two month process. Did they restart? I thought they never did restart it. They they restarted part of Odyssey, but they never fully restarted. I think the entire chain, and so so I think the idea originally was to use Odyssey as this bootstrap event to lead into a token, but it, it just. Yeah. They had to sideline it because of the infrastructure upgrade. I think they just lost a ton of momentum and just said, fuck it, or we're not doing it anymore. Um, and so, you know, a lot of like a lot of that activity was 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 kind of for not. So Grant's not wrong in the sense that all of us have been using this fucking chain with the expectation in the back of our mind that one day there would be a token uh, and it would be free money like that. That is a very fair criticism. I think my counterpoint to that is is that when I look at product on on um, Arbitrum, especially you know protocols like GMX, it's it's independent of that. I, I think like those products have found um, like a, a real use case, and and they they have been able to build like very sticky user bases as a result. Yeah, I I I I never minted smalls or or played bridge rolled uh, with. The idea that you know there's going to be an airdrop two years later, actually. So like macro level, I completely agree. Like I, you know, I like their chances against uh, release products as well as you know future products like like zk sync. It's just you know let let's be honest here in that like pre airdrop activity is never as organic as it seems, especially with 50k you know real users on on the whole chain. No one's in it for just the tech. We're all in here for the free 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 money. But it is really good tech. It works so much better than the other L2s, like we've said. Yeah, I can't disagree there. It's amazing tech. And and so I, I kinda when I look at, you know, when I look at some of the the, the mid-tweet predictions on price, um, and they're they're comping it to polygonal optimism, 
and they're just doing the like the dumb TBL man. It's like I, I kind of get a little annoyed because I'm just TBL is only one metric. TBL is dynamic. When a chain hits critical scale, you know, TBL or or when a chain loses its incentive um mechanism, TBL can can go up and down. Um Very and quickly. like reps, yeah, and and then like what what is that TBL for? Is it actually transacting on chain? Right. Like Huang has like five billion dollars of TBL. But if you look at like the activity that actually goes on there, right? It's it it, it, it you you understand like why that that chain is where it is. So so like you know so you have to I think like consider like economic value you have to consider a TBL because like what are you gonna fucking do next week when this token comes out and it trades above your target and you're like oh it's expensive but the TBL from Polygon and Optimism might start migrating to Arbitrum so on like a on like a TBL metric basis Arbitrum actually looks more reasonably priced with those versus those two tokens. That, that are bleeding TVL and are starting to trade at a higher multiple on their FDV versus TVL. Like this is all like it's all dynamic, right? So you have to kind of read like like my whole thing going into next week is like there's a lot of anticipation. You have to look at like what the underlying math and activity is telling you. Because dude, like if Arbitrum TVL and volumes continue to migrate higher post this airdrop. And a lot of that is organic because there's real products people want to use. You may take umbrage of buying it at like $2 this week, but you might not in like six months or a year. So, so there yeah. is like these considerations that you really have to think about and you have to like, you can't be dogmatic on this shit. Like it's just also just, you, you, you either going to end up with massive cope or you're going to get a fucking wreck. <laughs> that is the that is the, definitely happens uh yeah i i like that you you know bringing up tvl and these ratios because because the other two pieces of this uh oh we saw an airdrop uh recently that, that i think did some of these things right and it starts with a b um which is that uh so you have great tech it's really useful and people actually want to use it yes also i i do agree there's some incentivization and and potential and hopium going on but it's nothing like what some of these other chains are doing to incentivize use. So you have great tech. Then uh, the other thing you do is you make people rich. If you make them rich, they'll love you and they'll support you and they'll do anything. You know, this is, I've said this before, this is what Looks did wrong and part of what Blur did right is Looks gave so much of their stack to influencers and and whatever, uh, advisors. I don't know what they call their own investors. And, and <clears throat> Blur is going to make people, or I'm sorry, Blur also. So Blur gave a lot of money to people um that breeds a lot of loyalty if you make people who use your product rich they're gonna go to bat for you you know so so arb is gonna make a lot of people will insta dump whatever it's gonna make people it's really gonna reward people for using the chain and that matters um and then the third thing is like people are talking about prices on this and even tvl for as a metric really talking about it kind of like it's a protocol it's like go look at uh coin market cap or something well, this is not a a protocol, uh, like a like a like a DeFi coin. This is an entire blockchain, you know, with with lots of use. It's very easy to use. It's a it's a fucking ecosystem. Like as yeah, a business, it's already yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you're already talking about like hundreds of millions of dollars that that off chain is going to earn from sequencer fees, right? It, it's just oh, yeah. like the economic. Like this is a core piece of it, 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 like. Infra, DeFi like infrastructure, right? And so 
when you comp it to Seoul, when you comp it to Aptos, when you comp it to any of our other of these chains, like, you know, like, like, are you really just gonna strictly comp it to like L2s? Like, what is, what is like, what is like thematically speaking, economically speaking, special about an L2 versus a sidechain? Like, you know, like, why aren't these, you have to ask these questions. And, and, and so, but but again, like look, this is we're 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 maybe like mid curving this too much. Like and at the end of the day, it's just animal spirits and instinct that that kind of drop in your term price action. It could instantly launch and go to twenty cents. So if it does, nobody complain to us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please please send it to twenty cents. Please send it to yes. twenty cents. I I'll rent, be buying. I will I'll buy <laughs> every. I will buy it with every dollar that I have, and like and and, and just not look at it for like five years. 20 cents is my target on USDC last weekend too. 20 cents was? <laughs> well, I, I bought so much USDC on Bybit that Bybit, when I pressed the button to buy more, Bybit said no because because I was I was I was at the risk of bringing systemic risk to their funding pools on <laughs> USDC. I think directionally we're all like aligned here. Yeah. I just you know like loyalty to you know a, a protocol or product. Uh, even if it's the B word salty, I I would say it's going a step too far. But I think generally we're, we're all we're all a fan of the the A coin. Let's just say yeah. that. A and B, we have A coin and B coin now. Where's what's going to be C coin? That's my next question. <laughs> well, C coin we've already talked about. Come on now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying look, you should be loyal or or something like that. Or I'm just I'm just saying it's a phenomenon that happens that when you make people rich. They stick around, and sometimes they stick around way too long. So an example of this on Arbitrum is uh, magic. Is magic, yeah. That community yeah. became huge, fully memefied, developed its own egregores, and people were like eh, small PFPs everywhere. You know, everybody, and many of us, myself included, held on too long because when somebody dumps you some significant chunk of cash, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm going to, uh, let's keep playing this game. I just got a bunch of cash. I want more. Yeah, uh, in, if you think about it this way, the arbitrary airdrop is basically like uh, the uh, a uh, relief payment for all of us who <laughs> the magic ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Relief payment for hanging on to Bridge World months after the game launched. Yeah. Relief payment for hanging on despite the multi-million dollar hack of small. Re relief payment for saying, you know, John Pattern, who I think is a, one of the, the, the best people in crypto, is is a you know, is is the next Steve Jobs and visionary of the of the right. state. So people say that when you make them rich. If you give somebody a fifteen grand airdrop, it, they'll say things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah. If, you, if you if you gave somebody a JPEG that they had to draw a picture on paper for, uh, and that JPEG goes to fifty thousand yeah. dollars at peak, you, you you I get it. Well, the yeah, what I was gonna say, the funny thing about the magic ecosystem is, yes, all of us were a lot of us were in smalls or Ridge World, but like the the real winners are the people that were there originally when magic dropped the first time, right? Because that itself was a nice little chunk of change that helped people out. Um, in and those people, if you stuck around since then, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like those people have been okay, around for I'm a very long time. In yeah. retrospect, the first question we should have asked was, which one of you staked magic for a year? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, well, let's. We've been, we, this is great. Arbitrum is going to be coming on Thursday. Definitely something to watch. Real quick, so Grant was saying we all are probably of a similar mind directionally. Was there a follow up or a, a butt to that, Grant? I thought you were going to like there was a like a hedge. 
No, no, no hedge. I just, you know, I, I'm sensing a little bit of, of euphoria, not from this group necessarily. Uh, and they deserve a ton of credit, but I just don't think the whole execution was as clean as some people might make it out to be in the broadest of strokes. And it, when it comes down to it, brutally speaking, it's just timing. Like, look at look at the supposed blue chips on, on ETH L1 uh, in NFT land and what they're doing. Like, the ones that haven't had their floors slotted by 50% of the ones that are doing nothing, like absolutely nothing. Yeah, you, you know, so, so, so two things on that, right? Like one, I, I agree with you. I think some of these calls for like $10, I just look at them and say like, really, this is going to be worth 2x stripe on the last round. Uh, I love I love art, but I, I, I don't know if I would go there. I'm actively retweeting all of those tweets because I want excellent liquidity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, please do. Um, can you wait till after I buy on on airdrop day though? Just 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 please wait for seven days. And then uh, I think the other thing, yeah, like I wanted to get into this is apparently you can launch an NFT project, take in hundreds of millions of dollars, and one day just say we're not an NFT project anymore. Yes, well that's that's what I want to get into. This is this is my next this is my next step is to talk about the NFT market kind of a, as a whole. But really, I think it's kind of looking at the three major projects that people have kind of like piece together, which are uh, Doodles, Clonex, and Moonbirds, which have all kind of struggled in a, in a similar way, right? Like when I say that, we can, we can start with, we can start with Poopy's tweet. Um, but I think that this is like something I've been hammering on in this podcast for quite a while, which is all three of these projects um, seem to have struggled, A, with communication, but B, with execution. And, and so, yeah, let's get into this. So uh, Poopy, uh, the, one of the Duel's co-founders, basically came out and wrote a tweet that said, um, we are not an NFT project, we are a media brand. And I think it rightly was interpreted as a kind of a, a fuck you to the, the haters of the Doodles project, but also to me kind of belied a very telltale sort of um, communication style, but also like... Um, um, un, un, dis, uh, the word was that was right. a, a not understanding of what business these people are in, right? Like a not understanding of like how the markets work, what's happening, how it goes. So yeah, let's talk about doodles, right? So so it's funny. I was just looking at the blur. Uh, there's a project that launched yesterday that's called Not an NFT Project, which is a Doodles derivative that is doing okay for for a complete derivative project, but it has become a meme. This thing. Um, uh, Eric, yeah, what's your take on on essentially the tweet, but more so like kind of maybe where a, a projects like Doodles, Clonex, or or Moonbirds kind of goes from here? I mean, so so I'll put those into like kind of three different buckets. I I, I think like the issue with Doodles is great IP, fucking terrible team, uh, and they've completely taken their holders, uh, original holders for for granted, and just said like, well, like we're not doing this anymore because we're not very good at it, so we're gonna pivot into you know we're gonna quote unquote media. Um, and, and, and just like, you know, like floor it and get the fuck out. Uh, I, and I think like now the right ones are catching a lot of flack for it because this is, you know, the one, the number one golden rule in NFTs is, is like, you have to treat your collector base well. And the guys that have mastered this, like Yuga and Azuki's have had durability for that very fact because they, they continued to treat their holders with like respect their holders or at least just not outright rinse them uh while the other projects didn't right and and so we can talk like the same thing with artifact is artifact took the you know 
use their holders as marks and try to extract value and liquidity from them, right? And now you're coming to a head where like, it's just very, very sensitive. And you look at the last round of forging, um, none of the things look as good as they were promised in the renders like that. The vest looked like, you know, what I would call like crossing guard chic. Right. And it just it's just it just feels like the the age old like bait and switch that, that you expect from lesser projects, not once backed by Nike by Nike. And and then you know, Moonbirds, I, I think we talked about this before. I think it's like executionally, like they did not have a strong point of view on what Moonbirds actually fucking were. Uh I don't think honestly, I think there is a there is a timeline where proof as an ecosystem would have much been much, much better off. If it just stayed a one thousand collection and didn't yeah. numbers didn't exist, um, but you know Kevin wanted to build a business and he wanted like real Silicon Valley money, and so he had to grow it. Um, but but now I think like you know I I think they they have like an understanding of the mission, which is we're an art focused project community, uh, which I I absolutely agree with, and everything they do art wise is like is is awesome. But I, I also think there is like an inherent challenge for like building a community that's 10,000 strong, that's art focused right now in the current market that we're in and really making it sustainable, which, which is maybe like one of the reasons that they tried to do other things in the first place. But, but obviously the delivery and execution has been off there. Um, and, and so like, it, it just, you know, it, it kind of is just this, this, these, these transitory pains of an NFT project going from like massive hype cycle, getting a lot of money and now having to both operate as like a going concern business um, with their own motivations, but, but also juggling like, you know, the need to, to really like maintain a good functional relationship with that core community. And, and you're, what you're seeing right now is these former blue chips really, really struggling with the latter. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's just bad optics and, and it slows momentum on the business. Like uh, the, the socks, come on. The socks thing, by the way, is another crazy thing that I don't understand. I mean, obviously I, I will say as somebody who like, Dude, do thought, like people in Web3 just have like massive foot fetish? Yeah. <laughs> this, this is like the third sock based, like, web, like, the, like NFT project that we've fucking seen in this. Well, game. and this is even worse because it feels like, you know, the whole thing was about these virtual socks, right? Like, I, I guess my, I think this, this is where I think we are finally coming to the fruition of like what NFTs um, tried to be and kind of like, we, we've kind of like come to the emperor's clothes here, right? Like this idea that like, that certain projects kind of figured out a way to like actually make something out of them. And other projects are still kind of struggling to understand what they are. And even like the argument that like doodles is a media project, I would, I would go as far as to say as somebody who's worked in media is like, if you're a media project and you've now been in existence for a year and a half, what media have you created? And, and, and what, what can you point me to that you're a media project? And you had a year and a half media are, is not video games, right? Media is not video games. As somebody who's made media, I know that sure animation is expensive, but in the time that you had, the amount of money that you had, all the stuff you had, there are many different pathways you could have taken to make yourself to do stuff. And you know, that's like people point to the to the Pharrell um, partnership, but like I, as far as I can tell, nothing has come from that. Like there's, I just think that the the interesting thing is you had 
three people, you know, burnt toast and poopy and, and I, whatever they, I think Evan is the other guy who like had a very cool idea for a, an interesting looking NFT. And I think built a really interesting visual brand and then kind of ever since that point have, have fumbled the bag. Right. And, and I don't mean that in a way of like financially, I just mean of as a business, like every step along the way seems to have been making um, the wrong choice. And now it's funny, one of the things I do want to talk about Doodles specifically is I, I'm sure you all remember Space Doodles, right? And Space Doodles was like this kind of interesting, innovative idea of like wrapping a token rather than doing an airdrop. And I think they got a lot of, you know, positive sentiment around the idea of you're not diluting the project. But um, in a lot of ways, that was like the kind of beginning of like, oh, what are these guys? What is this thing? Why? Wh what? What does Space Doodles mean for Doodles, and and how is this connected? And since then, it's just been like a continual kind of progression to like, it, it's a like these people just don't know what they're doing, right? I mean, I don't know, Grant, you've had a lot of time to think about the Doodles project. Like, are they are they just lost completely, and we should be writing them off at this point? What's your take on it? Uh, first of all, I would like to say I don't appreciate uh, the unwarranted attacks on another man's uh, fetishes. <laughs> Secondly, I think... I mean, I smelled a rat, honestly, the minute they, they ran that Miami event. Mm. Uh, and at that time, the Doodle Bank was supposed to be decentralized, as in you're supposed to vote on shit before you spend money on it. And they put every team member up in like a five-star hotel that ended up costing like five figures for the, for the entire weekend. Uh, and I, I just, I just, I smell the rat. Cause like, that's not how it's supposed to run. That's not how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and ever since then, it's just been a hilarious kind of series of unfortunate events when it comes to honestly communications, right? Like um, the, the rocket thing didn't dilute your holder base, uh, but then you drop duplicators and did the ridic ridiculous auction for boxes, uh, and you didn't explain what it, what it was for, except that... You put that, it all you know, on the closed. float chain. You put it all on yes. the float chain, the yes. fetch chain. Yeah, which, I mean, just, again, you know, there's nothing to dispel rumors that it's just a giant circle jerk of, you know, ex-Roham footlockers. Yeah. Right? Uh, yes. So, it's, you know, never... <laughs> never say never in, in the crypto world, but I just, I've never really had much interest in them. Uh, and if you're such a media project, how, how come Pudgy Penguins has all these like GIFs that have like exactly. hundreds and thousands of uses and you, you don't, right? Yeah. Like, what? What are we talking yeah. about here? Of the three, I actually think Moonbirds, not, not necessarily Moonbirds, but like Proof has like um, a better chance of, of recovery, I'll say. Uh, like, I think the OG community from Doodles and, and Artifact has been just completely purged. Uh, yeah. An artifact is just victim to, not victim, but because you know a large part of their success comes from that as well. But just victim to whatever the whatever the corporate overlords at Nike are making them do in terms of revenue generation and what and and whatever else in, in the short term. Uh, but proof, you know, in another world, it could have just been literally a couple hundred coastal elites pumping and dumping generative art. Um, and that's truly what Kevin Rose was in the ecosystem before starting his own project, right? He just got too greedy or, you know, too high on his own hopium and said, let's do these PFPs. And he just completely overestimated his own, own ability to, to manage expectations of DGENs. And, and by the way, he was great at it. 
you know, if, if this had stayed in Art Collective, it would... He was really fucking good at it. He was a lead at pumping art. Yeah. It, it, which, you know, it, this would probably be one of the most desirable collectives still within the space, despite everything that's happened. And he has amazing first-tier relationships with some of the best artists in the space. I, I think the struggle with Moonbirds is, is that you, like, how do you go to Tyler Hobbs and say, like, can you do a 10K collection for me? Like no sane artist, I think in the medium, given the size it is, would agree to that. And so, so there is like, I think the real, the real big challenge for them is like, fuck, like how do I, how do I do this and make it accessible to my ten thousand holders? Yeah, right. It doesn't. Yeah. It and that's the had in where it doesn't like completely feel like this two tiered system, um, where you know like the the proof holders are still like get everything and and then Moonbirds back for scraps. Um, yeah. And that's not easy. So, like, but but at least, like, yeah, like, when you go into the Moonbird holders, like, the, the day one holders, the guys like Lacoste, like, those guys are still there, right? Yeah. You can't really say that, but but as Grant, like, you know, um, uh, alluded to, like, the big Clone X holders and the big Doodles holders have, have mostly speaking just said, fuck this, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm over it. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so that puts, like, that puts those you know, I think projects in a different spot. I will say out of the three, I think like, I think I actually was, will pick clones as, as the one that has the highest chance, highest chance of making a comeback just because, you know, they're sitting behind uh, the Nike engine, which has infinite money um, and a huge deep well of talent in terms of creating stuff that people will want, hyping, marketing it, um, and just generally like creating this halo effect for, for, for their, for their stuff. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I'll say about that. Cause I, I, I agree with you, but also the question I would have is, and Grant, this is actually to your point too, because I'm not sure if it's the Nike corporate overlords telling them what they should be doing, or if it's, they've been, they've, they've, they were brought in and then like, kind of like allowed to continue to manage it themselves. Because like, if I'm looking at clone X from a business perspective and kind of like, you know, uh, what they shipped in terms of all their, all their stuff, like it doesn't look great. Right. Like, and, and I, this is the kind of thing where if you're, if you're dealing with an internal, if you're at a giant corporation, you're dealing with an internal division that's failing. Like this is a, this is a candidate for like, okay, we need new leadership at that division. Right. So I think there's a world in which if Nike kind of like understood the, the, the possibilities here, they, they like, you know, either sunset the founders and move them into something else, or it's a, it's a scenario where like, you know, a startup gets bought by a large company and then the founders, you know, move on to something else as they find ways to make the product better. Now, a lot of times it doesn't work either, right? Like a lot of times corporations will screw up startups along the way. Yeah. Have you seen the price action of the Adidas NFTs? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So like, I, I think that's not that much better there, right? Is that what you're just like, was that what you're getting to? No, like you're, are you, are you betting that, that Nike leadership has, you know, a better idea of what to do than, than the artifact founders? I, I just, well, I, I, I don't see the it. Artifact, the Nike leadership view the artifact founders as, as have not having worked out because they probably hit every revenue KPI that they, they were supposed to hit when they bought artifacts. Right. And, and right, that right. actually is the core issue is, is that, that the incentives and people, a, a lot of people have, have kind of talked about this. It's like the incentive structure at Artifact probably encouraged the founders to do this 
because right. to get their massive payout, like you have to hit certain royalty targets. You have to in like you have to do all these things to create speculation and build up hype. Um, and that partially put the project to where it is. Like Monolith Two, I think was the breaking point where they allowed their holder base to speculate a hundred fifty dollar coupon to six grand and said nothing. Well, but here's my question about that. So who's so okay? There's two questions about that specifically. Like, whose fault is that? Is that the founder's fault for 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 saying, "Hey, we're going to do this thing, even though we know this is going to result in this thing"? Is it the corporation's fault because they said, "Hey, we're not going to give you these shoes for free. They're only a coupon." Like, this is this is where I think we have to like hold founders accountable somewhat in this situation because like that is uh, probably the largest like original that's like not the original sin there are probably other sins but like that was the breaking point for the clone x whales right i feel like this idea that they they got a coupon for for purchasing um these shoes like i think the biggest question i would have is like who who whose fault does that lie with right? like who made that it's everyone's fault yeah it's it is the it is the it is the founder's fault for not you know putting their economic incentive first in the short term and basically shortchanging the entire community and the, and the business that they built by saying like, you know, like I know this is $150 coupon, but I'm not really going to say anything because I got to hit my KPIs to get my earn out, right? Like that's absolutely their responsibility and you have to hold them accountable for it. Um, but it is also, I think it goes to like, the, everything is an economic incentive. Right. right. Like so right. so what what they're doing, this is what they're doing is like a, in, in the in the face of money, human beings are are very brittle constructs, morally speaking. Um it is what it is. Uh and so there is also some I think some Nike rightfully deserves a lot of flack for not actually understand the medium that they bought or invested in. Um and I think that that in itself is also like created a lot of um that that itself is also it's also something that like a lot of these web two brands getting into the space have to have to learn and understand, um, which is like you can't just use this as a source of continuously extract value from this holder base. Like you have to grow it and nurture it because it is it is a seedling right now, uh, and you have to let it germinate and be able to grow into something of of real size. Else, yes. you're really just you're you're really just shortchanging yourself in the long run. Well, it's interesting to think about the uh, to to show what Azuki has done during this time, which I think a lot of people have talked about the fact that like you know Azuki hasn't dropped a lot of new stuff since Beans, um, and it's been a while now, right? And like the idea of like kind of letting the market you know communicating, but also letting the market kind of play out as we go along, um, rather than completely diluting to try to get all your money back you know immediately is an interesting thing. Um, the KPI thing is an interesting conversation because like it does get to the point of like the original model for what NFTs were um, probably is not in any sort of way a reasonable model to look at a business. And, you know, especially when, you know, the royalty conversation, I think nonwithstanding is it, it's not really worth even jumping in here, but more of just the idea of, you know, creating new uh, collections and letting them go. I will say like, Yuga seems to have done it okay. Now, granted, they you know their their projects are top of market, and they've they found a way to kind of like get into many many different businesses. It seems like specifically like you know games and then other things as well. Um, I guess my ultimate question would be is, and we've we've been here a couple times before, is that 
we had, you know, of those three projects we just talked about, all three of them, clones, Moonbirds, and Doodles, were all kind of considered, if not blue chips, you know, semi-blue chips a year ago. And I would kind of pretty much succinctly put all of them kind of not on that list anymore. Do you, do we feel like the idea of like a blue chip NFT is just going to be a much rarer thing than we ever we ever expected? And do we feel like... I guess my other question with this is, do we feel like there is the possibility of blue chip NFTs to come? This is something else I think is interesting to talk about. So I think it's just a way for people who are not smart or not attentive to the market to, to label certain things. Not to mention there's like literal indices on Nansen and elsewhere that you know, mark certain collections as blue chips. So I think that term will always exist. Uh, I just don't use it personally for anything other than communicating to to uh <laughs> to normies i guess uh i think it's actually super bullish for another collection that i actually have personal distaste for but i think will do well financially speaking and that's uh d gods mm. uh, and utes uh i think i consider frank like basically the dave portnoy of, of nfts uh where i want nothing to do with barstool or barstool affiliated people uh but you you know, in an attention economy, you can't, you know, deny the number of eyes and, and ears that, that he has on him, right? And right. for normies, it's not going to be about the details. It's going to be about the headlines. Like, you know, he's young, he's ambitious, he's loud, he's XYC, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and we saw that um, really come to light. Like, they actually did a number on, on Yuga uh, on the Ornals front, right? Because they didn't go max greed uh, with their collection. Uh, they actually cut... Uh, the min price and it sold out in a single block yeah and, and it's doing really well in secondary right now so i think um you know with with the supposed death of, of the the three collections we talked about it's quite bullish for newer projects that a bunch of eth people don't know like the dirty details behind uh, and it's also optimistic for older collections and kind of the two ETH to five ETH range that uh, have just mm. been, you know, haven't haven't really engaged in dilution and haven't re- like absolutely butchered uh, their PR and, and communication strategy. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, all right, we should look to wrap up here. Um, before we go, we always want to get one word or not one word. So I always want to hear one thing people are looking forward to this week. Um, I think obviously um, ARB is something all of us are interested in looking forward to. Um, I'm actually really interested. I'll do mine first. I'm actually kind of interested to see how the ARB drop affects other ARB uh, ecosystem type things, whether that's magic or other ARB tokens. So I'll be kind of watching that aspect of of what's happening. I kind of feel like the NFT space is going to be on pause for a bit, but but who knows? We'll see. Um, uh, Grant, what about you? What are you looking forward to this week? Yeah, just, just I, I think the... You know, there's no need to mid-curve it. The, the play of the week is undoubtedly going to be ARB. Uh, you know, if, if you're interested in playing other alts and narratives, I would, you know, consider looking at anything, any ticker with, with AI in it, with the, literally just the two letters AI in it, uh, and then, you know, uh, China coins, because, um, you know, fundamentally they're on a different track than, than the U.S. economy. I do want to say that the the tick could the tokens that have AI in them, as somebody who's done a fair amount of AI um, uh, research and work on my own in terms of that stuff, so many of them, it's fascinating. Like 
it just becomes a question of like, how do you use a narrative to kind of pump something? Because so many of them are basically using off the shelf product to kind of prove that they have a product and it's the simplest, dumbest thing, but you're, it's you're being too them. kind. Yes. Funky. They're all all right scams. They're they really all are. All right scams. They really are. It's really shocking. Like, like there was that, what, what uh, you know, imagine.ai was like a really big, like token that like really went crazy in January and early February. And essentially was their, their product was a front end, uh, that allowed you to access, you know, a stable diffusion um, fork, which is just like the craziest thing in the world. And the only product was like they were going to pay for compute for you, which is like I guess something. But it, anyway, it's it's a fascinating thing to watch. Um, okay, great. Uh, uh, Salty, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, well, of course, I'm looking forward to. We're going to release this podcast, and then uh, we'll release an AMA that Eric and I did with uh, the Timeless Finance folks. So that's all I have to look mm. forward to is more of hearing myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a fun thing. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's ARB season. It's it's alt season. It's um, I don't know. Things will go up and then they might go down and then hopefully they'll go up again over some time frame. <laughs> there you go. I do think it's a good it's a good time to like, you know, just like. Think about what you think the future holds, you know, think about the markets, you know, it's not. It's it's good sometimes to not totally dismiss what sound like extreme voices about the value of Bitcoin or the ease of retail using crypto in the US or the developments of AI, you know. So I I mean that's kind of what's been on my mind is and and I think it should be because you know we got we got bailed out, but still something happened last week. You know, it's like it, yeah. it's fine now probably it, it like in the immediate term but still that thing happened it did not happen it's just that we fixed it in time so it's worth you know just thinking about where where you, where you have your money what you know what what you want it to be in yep yep you basically you're saying think about the think about the uh the bunker <laughs> <laughs> think about making sure you live in a country that's energy and food self-sufficient if need be there you go <laughs> How about there that? you go Make sure you make sure you're not on an island. Uh, all right, uh, Eric, what are you looking forward to this week? I mean, I think I think the other thing we didn't talk about the next week is the Filmic. So I, I'm really looking at mm. the commentary there. Uh, for the most part, I think people have baked in like a 25 basis point increase, which which I don't really have a strong view on. Um, but I think the, the commentary around whether there are going to be more increases to come or whether you know they're in wait and see mode. If we do have like want to have the sustained run, especially in alts, I think I think that will be like confirmation for people to go nuts. Is right. if Jerome Powell, Powell comes out and says, "Hey, hey, like you know, we tightened quite quite a bit. Uh, we're gonna just wait a little bit and evaluate rate hikes and costs for now, and then we're fucking off with the races." Right. Like, like and then then like every every CT you know personality is gonna just be fist bumping and then yeah. calling for like a hundred thousand dollar btc or whatever um so that i think like in you know in conjunction with like what is going to be probably probably like a one to two billion dollar stimulus check to uh the crypto community next week from arm um is going to set up some really interesting dynamics yep yep that makes perfect sense i think that i'm super curious to see Two things with that. One, I think you're right. It'll be fascinating if they if they do pause and don't raise. Like I think there's going to be a crazy frenzy. 
the bigger then question becomes is like, okay, I, I've seen some people say this is like, we go back to the cycles happening faster. Like, do we suddenly hop into a, a true bull cycle that lasts six months? Do you know what I mean? Versus lasting whatever a true bull cycle in the past has lasted like a year and a half, two years. Like, the, I, it seems like we're entering that kind of period. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a still a very interesting conundrum because inflation still still be quite elevated, um, but you're at this point where like you know tightening is going to be a lot really painful and disruptive to to core institutions. So like, what do you do? Right. Yeah. It, it is yeah. it is a little bit of of no man's land, and that's like I think like post the initial euphoria, that's probably when some of these like 1980 comparisons, last decade comparisons, are are going to start to come up again, and and we'll just deal with it when it comes. I'm not not really smart enough to read the TV that far ahead, so I'll, I'll just do one you know one week at a time. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's wrap up here, everybody. Thanks for listening. This was a fun one. Um, I think we're going to have a guest again next week, so um, stick around. But thanks for joining, everybody, and we will see you uh, next week. All right, bye, everybody. Bye.